you know, if you see yourself living in this place for a while, that's okay. Investing in the community you're in and buying the home in a financially intelligent way, overall homeownership can be a blessing. It can be a great thing. dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we are going to do three things. First, we're going to answer a question from the Marriage, Kids, and Money community about how to know when you're ready to buy a house. Second, we're going to answer another question about consolidating investment accounts. This can be a tricky one. And last but not least, we're back with our mortgage-free segment. This month, we're going to be featuring Janelle Page from Indiana. She and her husband paid off their mortgage in less than three years, and they did it in their mid-20s. This is crazy, man. Incredible. I love it. I can't wait to share it with you guys. All right, let's jump into today's show. Our first question comes in from Ryan on Instagram, and here it is. One thing I'm struggling with right now is that right now I earn $3,600 a month at my current job, but in three months or so, I'll be moving away from home and opening up an insurance agency from scratch, and that will be much more lucrative income. Obviously, I need housing. I rent right now and pay way too much, and I'm tired of throwing my money at rent. I have no savings because my income is the only source of income in the house, and up until a few weeks ago, getting my finances in order was not a priority of mine. My question is, how do I know what I can afford in a house? All right, Ryan, thank you so much for reaching out with your question, and I'll have to say congratulations on deciding to get your finances in order. That is a huge statement, that epiphany moment for you when you're like, I want to do this. That could be a huge turning point in your financial future. So I commend you for making that decision. Now to answer your question, how do you know when you can afford a house? That is a really smart question to ask instead of just plunging into it as I have done in the past, which I will (laughs) share with you a bit about. Let's dive into this. I have five thoughts for you and I'm going to go through them right now. Number one, there is nothing wrong with renting. Based on the little information I have from you, Ryan, it sounds like the smartest move for you right now would be to rent. I know it feels like renting can be a waste of money because you're not building equity, but buying a home when you're not financially prepared can be much, much worse. I bought my first home when I was 22 years old because I thought, man, that was the right thing to do, the smart financial move to make. And man, I was wrong. My mortgage payments made me feel like I was drowning each month. I wasn't making enough money to cover all the bills and my lifestyle, and I started to go into debt. And when I had job opportunities to move to other cities during the Great Recession, I couldn't leave because I owed more on my home than it was worth. It was like a nightmare. Now, will another great recession happen that affects the housing market when you decide to buy a house? I don't know. Maybe not. But who knows, right? Who knows? The point is renting gives you flexibility. It gives you options. So please don't put homeownership on this pedestal like a lot of people do as the only smart way 
to live or the only smart way to have your housing. I did that and I got burned. Number two, build up your emergency savings first. You mentioned, Ryan, that you have no savings. That is a great place to start. To the best of your ability, it's time to start living on less than you make. This has been the single best piece of advice I've received during our wealth building journey. If you can live on less than you make, then you have the ability to save more and protect yourself from when life happens. Your tire goes flat. You know what I'm talking about. Your tire goes flat with no savings. This becomes a quick way to go into debt. With savings though, this emergency is an emergency no more, right? So work on building up an emergency fund of at least three months of expenses. This may take some time if you're starting from zero, but it'll be worth it. This amount of money will protect you from job loss, unexpected emergencies, and it'll give you some confidence as you start to save up for your first home. Number three, save 20% for your home down payment. A good rule of thumb is to save 20% of the value of your home as your down payment. This does a few things, Ryan. It helps you lower your monthly mortgage payments. It helps you avoid private mortgage insurance, which is called PMI. It is a nasty extra fee that you got to pay that protects the mortgage lender. It doesn't protect you. And it's just more money you got to pay. And then the last thing is that it potentially gives you better interest rates with your lender. If they see you putting down more money, they're like, okay, these guys are a worthy partner and maybe they'll give you a more favorable rate. So, and favorable rates will give you, you know, lower mortgage payments, which is awesome. So for example, if the home you are looking at costs $300,000, which seems to be the nationwide average, which seemed really high for me, maybe it's because I live in the Midwest, you know, some of these Californias and New Yorks and some other areas of the country may be driving up the price. But anyway, let's call it $300,000. You will need to save up $60,000 for your down payment. That is 20% down payment. That might sound like a crazy amount of money because it is. Homeownership is a big deal and it should not be taken lightly. According to the Mortgage Bankers Association, as of June 30th last year, mortgage delinquency in the U.S. has reached 8.2%, the highest since 2011, and almost double the 4.5% of a year earlier. Yes, there's a pandemic going on, lots happening. So what those percentages mean, though, with 53 million mortgages in the U.S., that means more than 4.3 million mortgages are delinquent. That is a lot. 4.3 million people are unable to pay their mortgages. You know, even if you cut that number in half, so pre-pandemic, over 2 million people get into a situation with their home where they're not able to pay their mortgage. That is a scary number. So from a dude who put 10% down on his first home and felt like he was drowning, go for at least 20%. I think you'll be happy you did. Number four, consider the other costs of home ownership. One of the other major mistakes that I made when buying my first home was thinking that if I could afford the mortgage, then, uh, you know, I'd be okay. This was a major error on my part. Here is a short list of the other expenses that homeowners need to pay outside of their mortgage. Closing costs, homeowner's insurance, 
property tax, repairs, home maintenance, furniture, utility bills like your heating bill, your electric, your water, your cable, all that stuff, lawn care, whether you're doing it or you're paying somebody to do it, there's time and cost that goes with that. And then just millions of other things. The list could go on and on and on. The point I'm trying to make here by listing all these things out is that you need to factor in those costs before you buy a home. I realized this after I bought my home. And quickly, my home costs, just the cost it took me to live there, were about 50% of my income each month. This left very little money for fun. I was like in my early 20s, I wanted to go out and hang out with my buddies. I had no money to do that. I didn't have enough money. Also, for the other important things like food and transportation and clothing and all the other expenses of life. And that's when you start to get into debt just to live. So if you don't have a budget already, Ryan, I would highly recommend it. You can check out some of the best budget apps out there right now. I'm a big fan of Mint. Nicole and I have been using that for almost 10 years now. And it's free. YNAB is fantastic. Tiller. There's lots of great ones out there. Check these out. You can get some for free. You can get some for whatever, five bucks a month or something like that. But these apps will help you stay on task and get on top of your finances right away, which it sounds like it's a big priority for you right now. All right, number five, last one here, use a mortgage calculator to gauge the budget impact. Once you've created and are living on that budget we talked about, you can start to play around with a mortgage calculator and see how much you'd potentially pay each month for your mortgage. Calculators like these can be easily found on the internet. Just Google mortgage calculator and you'll find a bunch of them. With this information, you can start to understand the impact of a larger down payment and the benefits of potentially going with a 15-year mortgage versus a 30-year mortgage. So the difference, if you want a lower payment today, a 30-year mortgage is your best option. And if you want to pay off your mortgage faster, like we did, and pay less interest to the bank in the process, a 15-year mortgage is better. This is a personal decision that only you can make as you move forward. Some people like the 30-year, some people like the 15-year. Since this could be hmm, the largest purchase you'll ever make, take your time and don't rush. If the price doesn't feel right for you, or you're not excited about the home you found, then don't force yourself to buy something that you may regret later. Also, think about what life looks like for you in five to 10 years. Do you see yourself living in this house for five years, 10 years, longer? The cost to buy, sell, furnish, update, repair, heat, cool, decorate another home that you might get can be quite costly. The churn of buying a home and buying the next one, that's where a lot of these costs come from. A lot of people make money from you doing that. The real estate agents, the mortgage lenders, all the people who have to do all this work for you. And it can just be downright tiring as well. So before committing, think about, can you commit to this place for a while? Because homeownership is a long-term deal. But you know, if you see yourself living in this place for a while, that's okay. Investing in the community you're in and buying the home in a financially intelligent way, overall homeownership can be a blessing. It can be a great thing. And even though I totally messed up with my first home purchase, our second one 
has been a dream come true. I love where we live. We own our home outright and we see ourselves living here for at least another 10 years. Our home value has gone up from, we bought it at $350,000 and now it's at $450,000 just seven years later. So that is some nice appreciation. So Ryan, I wish you the best of luck with your transition, your move, and eventually your path towards home ownership. Because when you do it the smart way, there is no place like home. If you have a question like Ryan, you can contact me via voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail or through social media at Andy Hill MKM. That's at Andy Hill MKM. I would love to help you guys on your financial independence journey. Our second question of the month comes in from Karen via voicemail. Hey, Andy, it's Karen. Great job with marriage, kids, and money. I'm learning a significant amount. I have a question for you. I might be leaving my day job, and I have a 401k in Vanguard. We also have Roth IRAs and American funds, and we have an HSA through Fidelity. So my question is, when I leave my job, do I, one, keep everything in Vanguard, two, move my 401k to American funds, which takes... 3% of the money off the top? Or do I take American funds and my Vanguard and roll it into Fidelity and possibly get an advisor through Fidelity? Only reason why we have American funds is because we do have an advisor there. But I'm not sure if I want to give them 3% of my 401k. Also, is there something completely different that you have a suggestion that could help me? Thanks. Karen, that is a great question. You're thinking about some smart things with this question. Account consolidation and lowering fees. These are smart things to think about when you're thinking about investing. These two strategies, I believe, will reduce your stress and help you build more wealth over the long term. Now, Karen, I'm a bit biased, so take this with many, many grains of salt, maybe like a whole shaker of salt. (laughs) I believe that passive index fund investing is the best way to invest for our family. Now, is that for your family? Who knows? You have to decide. But it allows me to relax and not worry about trying to beat the market and also not have to pay someone fees to try to beat the market. That is a philosophy that I like because it fits with my goals of a relaxed financial lifestyle. Not only do I like it, but some, well, a few other people like it as well, right? One of them, uh, you might know him, Warren Buffett. Yeah, he's one of the wealthiest people on the planet. He has stated on multiple occasions that he thinks index funds are where most people should be placing their money. Buffett even told his wife and the trustee to do the following with his wealth upon his death. Here it goes. My advice to the trustee couldn't be more simple. Put 10% of the cash in short-term government bonds and 90% in a very low-cost S&P 500 index fund. I suggest vanguards, he said here. I believe the trust's long-term results from this policy will be superior to those attained by most investors, whether pension funds, institutions, or individuals who employ high-fee managers. Oh man, that kind of fits with your situation quite a bit there, Karen. 
Another guy who is a big fan of index funds is Tony Robbins. I'm a big fan. I really like his advice. He covers a lot of gamuts and he tries to keep it simple. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his book, Unshakable. He really breaks things down. He talks about index funds in this way. Index funds take a passive approach that eliminates almost all trading activity. And all the back and forth, the trading, that can mean costs too. That can mean fees. That can mean not sticking with something for the long term. So outside of those two gurus that I like, I interviewed probably 50 plus everyday millionaires on this show or through my blog. And they also think passive investing through index funds is a smart way to go. For example, Lisa Shader, young millionaire. She hit her seven figure mark at the age of 30 years old through simple index fund investing and keeping it simple through tax advantage accounts like your 401k, 529 for her kids, and IRAs, things like that, just to keep it simple. So not only do I like it, there's a lot of other folks that do, Sue. I, you know, obviously I'm just building my case, <laughs> but I just wanted to share my thoughts. You asked for my thoughts, so here they are. Now, can you beat the market through active management? Sure, sure you can, but... It's not as much as you'd think. According to CNBC, after 10 years of tracking, 10 years, 85% of large cap funds underperformed the S&P 500, underperformed. And after 15 years, nearly 92% are trailing the index, 92%. That means 8% of large cap funds beat the market after 15 years. That is not a lot of numbers there, 8%. (laughs) And what were those fees associated with those funds? And the managers who are managing those funds, does it still beat out the S&P 500 index net of fees without those fees or with the fees included? I think those are things you got to got to research a little bit. What about all the work that went into it? You know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not convinced. I would love to be convinced another way, you know, or an, another thought. I, I should probably have somebody on the show that will convince me that active management makes sense and why it makes sense. But for me, for all the books I've read, for all the people I've talked to, this just seems like the smart and simple way to go. Now, I'm not saying that having a financial advisor is a bad idea. In fact, I think it is a great idea because they can keep you on track, they can hold you accountable, and they can help you from making big mistakes like jumping out of the stock market when things are going down or things like that. Somebody to hold you accountable. And that can help you to stay on track for your goals. So my advice would be to find a financial advisor that has your best interest at heart. Again, I am not a financial advisor. I'm just some dude with a microphone I got on the internet and just provide you my opinion. (laughs) But I do think that 3% with American funds sounds like a lot to me. That's a lot of money. And if you take 3% out of any earnings that you're going to be getting over the long term, that can really eat things up. But 1% to 1.5% sounds more in line. And then that sounds like what Fidelity is offering. And I know you mentioned Fidelity as a potential partner, and that might be a good place to start. I like fee-only financial advisors who are fiduciaries, people who are out there for your best interest. This way, they aren't incentivized to sell you products or investments that you don't need. That way, they are looking out for your best interest. 
So that was kind of a long-winded answer to your question about fees and things like that and, and protecting yourself there. That that's my thoughts and my philosophy, the way I go about things. But who knows? I've you know, I've only been an investor for 10 years. I might eat my words in another five years. But from all the information I've seen from people who've been investing for a really long time and from, you know, billionaires like Warren Buffett, it sounds like a smart move to me. Let's go back to your thoughts on the other point of account consolidation. If it was me, you gave me three options. Your your options were one, stick with Vanguard, or two, you know, move everything to American Fund, or three, move things to Fidelity. I'd go to your option three of consolidating everything with Fidelity, and I'll tell you why. I, and I use Vanguard, which is funny for, for me to say that, but... I think they're very similar. I think Schwab, Fidelity, and Vanguard are all pretty similar. They're all low-cost brokers that are doing some great things. Here here are a couple other reasons for Fidelity. They have an excellent HSA program, which you already know about because you're using. And Vanguard and American Funds, I don't know about their HSA options, but I have heard great things about Fidelity's. So since you're already there and... Fidelity is going to gladly help you do a 401k rollover from Vanguard. That'll be easier. That way you'll have all of your accounts in one place. And then you can significantly lower your fees from American funds. And then you'll all be in one spot, which is great. And Fidelity, they have a lot of low or no fee index fund options, which is great. They did some pretty bold moves. I think it was a couple of years ago where they're like, all right, Vanguard, we're going to up the game a little bit. We're going to have a zero fee index fund. So check them out. I think that's probably the best route. That would be my suggestion. You're asking for my opinion. That would, that would be the way I would go. Now there's peace of mind. This is the reason that I like this number three option. There's peace of mind with having all of your accounts in one place. And with Fidelity being a leading low cost broker, I truly, truly believe that you'll be in good hands there. So Karen, I hope this advice was helpful as you make this big transition in your life. Congratulations on these moves and this and this thought of you know transitioning out of your job and, and doing something that you love. If you need help with all of this movement and the transition and all those things, I am virtually guaranteeing a rep from Fidelity will help you and ensure everything is done in the right manner. I've worked with them in the past and they are definite pros. So best of luck and happy investing. Again, if you have a question like Karen... Do what she did and leave me a voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. Again, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. Just leave a message less than 90 seconds and I'll do my best to answer it and help you on your journey. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Let's jump back into the show. How would you like to own your home outright? What would it feel like to never make a mortgage payment ever again? On our mortgage-free segment today, we're going to interview Janelle Page from Indiana. Janelle and her husband, Jarek, recently paid off their mortgage, and they accomplished this crazy feat in their mid-20s. We're going to find out why they did this and how they did it right now. Welcome to the show, Janelle. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you on and I'm really excited to learn how you guys did this. So I like to start these interviews off with the mortgage-free three. These are some quick, short answers so that people can understand your story a little bit better. So here we go. What was your starting mortgage principal balance? 
Our starting mortgage principal was $125,000. $125,000. Awesome. Okay. So how long did it take you to pay off $125,000? It took us right at 32 months. Wow. Okay. Under three years. Wow. That is incredible. Very good work. All right. So now what is your home value today, 32 months later? So when we bought the house, it was 195000 but we've actually done some updates and added a shop and a storm shelter for safety. And so we're about two hundred and forty dollars to $250,000. So $250,000 owned outright. Yes, sir. Very cool. Way to go, Janelle. That's awesome. Congratulations to you and Jarek. That's some hefty work in three years. So let's talk about the story a little bit. Why did you want to pay off your mortgage? So when we got married, we've never liked debt at all. We got married in 2018 in September, but actually we bought the house in March. So we knew that it was going to be a big issue for us because we'll talk about it later, but our bank wouldn't allow us to have a fixed rate. They required the adjustable rate on us, the arm. We weren't super comfortable with, you never know what is going to happen with the economy and our jobs and how the interest would change. So we set up a goal from then on to definitely pay it off as soon as we could. We were planning on maybe five years, but with all the budgeting we did, we were able to come up with three years. And we also knew we would want to start a family within hopefully two or three years. And I would go part-time or PRN and work just that and then live off of his income alone. So all of that stuff combined together made it possible for us to really hit our goals because we were very motivated. That is great. I love those goals. I love it's family first. That's great. So talk to me about the arm a little bit. Why was that the only option? Is it because you guys didn't have a lot of credit? Is it because you were younger? How does, how does that work? Yes, it was our credit issue. So I had a credit card with my dad and that was our only credit line. He had absolutely no credit even though we had money saved down in the bank that we had $70,000 to put down. (laughs) They didn't care about that at all. They like credit more than cash, huh? (laughs) Yes, yes. So we were unable to get a fixed rate. We talked about having one of our parents sign on it and just the way we discussed it and how we had our motivation that we said, no, we'll do this on our own. We will make the adjustable rate work. And in three years, if we have to do a fixed rate and hopefully we'll have enough credit by then, but we didn't have any credit at all. So that was our major issue. That's great. And now you own it outright. So you don't nearly have to worry about the whole credit thing anymore, right? Exactly. (laughs) Very cool. So how long was the term with the arm? Was it a five-year arm? Was it a three-year arm? How does that work? It was a three-year arm. So that's why originally we said five years, knowing that it could only increase the 1% every year. But we said, how awesome would it be just to have it done in the three years and not worry about the credit interest change? So three years was our goal. Very cool. So what was the rate when you got your loan? It was 4.25%. Very cool. That's great. So you paid that off in three years and now you're just done with it. Yes. Another thing we were motivated by too, is we looked at how much it was going to cost in interest just to pay the bank. And I do understand that people have jobs and they need paid too, but I wasn't interested in paying them a heck of a lot of money over 20, 30 years that could be used elsewhere. 
I agree. Yeah, when you look at those numbers, how much you pay, let's say you get a 30-year loan, how much you pay towards the bank and in interest, it just kind of is mind-boggling. It kind of makes you get really excited about, hey, well, I don't want to do that. I want to I want to keep my money, right? <laughs> exactly. Very cool. So you guys said you put $70,000 down. Is that right? Yes. And how old were you when you got the house? So I was 23. 23. You would have been 24. So how did you save up $70,000 at 23 years old? So what happened was I was in grad school and we've been dating since middle school, actually. So when I went to school, he was a year older than me. And when we got done with undergraduate, he was done in four years. I got my undergraduate in three years so we could graduate our undergraduate together. And then I went on for my master's for I'm an occupational therapist. So I had to get my master's degree so I went on for two more years and we both agreed not to get married because I would get clinicals and I had practicums and clinicals. I actually ended up in Kentucky for one of them for three months away. And so we decided that it was best that we didn't get married until I was done with school. Less stress on us and as a family for starting out our marriage. And so he had two years of living at home and working he worked an hour away, but got a higher pay. So he saved up a lot of that money. I will give him complete credit for that one because he made it work and worked long hours to be able to save up and have that there and lived with his parents. So, which is not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with living your parents right when you're done with school, for sure. That's a great way to save money. Congratulations. That's some super saving right there. I love it. While we were gone and I was gone in Kentucky, one of my OT classmates she ended up with a practicum up here. And so she was looking for housing and we had our house during that time. We bought it in March. She had her thing in June, July, and August. And so she moved into our house for three months and paid us rent, pretty much just the utilities, but it was one way for us to save. So that was a a way that we were able to kind of finagle and get some extra income and make it work. This is fantastic. Well, let's talk about the process of paying it off in the three years. So was this just budgeted from the start that you were going to do this? Did you guys do anything during that time frame to increase your income or decrease your expenses? So most of it was budgeted since we didn't, we weren't married. We didn't have to decrease our expenses. Obviously we increased them because we were moving out and living together and having a house. I did end up picking up a extra job, a PRN job for my work because where I work, I'm not salary. I am hourly. So, and it depends on the load of our case. So some weeks I was only getting 25 hours. So I would pick up an extra job and work elsewhere for my therapy to be able to get some extra pay. And in all honesty, our hobbies have led to a lot of savings. We love to garden. So we put up over 150 pints and quarts this past summer. So our gardening has been big for saving money. And also he hunts, well, I hunt too, but we hunt and fish and trap. And our hunting, we don't buy meat from the store except seafood because we don't have any seafood in Indiana. (laughs) (laughs) But we pretty much do a lot of wild game and we raise our own chickens. We have a hobby farm. So all these things lead up to actually a lot of savings for that. And it's been great during COVID too. (laughs) When the meat shelves were bare, we were fine. That is incredible. Can you hunt on your own land or you just do it near where you live? 
near where we live, my family has ground that we've always hunted and his family has a little bit of ground too. So it's just a short drive that we enjoy. I love how your hobbies, things you love to do, either bring in money or save you a ton of money. I think that's a great way to live. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. So people you know, are looking at these numbers and saying, okay, $125,000 in three years, just so they get an understanding. You guys have a general income range you could share to understand how that went? Once I had my job, which was right out whenever we bought the house, our gross income was about $130,000. And so you're saving a lot of money with that $130,000. Yes, yes. We definitely did a lot of saving. The way it ended up working out was in the past year, we built that shop, which my husband built. We bought the supplies for about $25,000, but that increased our value to if you build a shop like that, it's 50000 or so. So he did a lot of the work, put a lot of the legwork into that. But we went and just the many things like that that we can do. We ended up building that, but then budgeting to keep the rest of it. It was crazy how it all worked out. He worked his job. Everything we got from his income went to our bills and or saving. And everything, every single one of my paychecks in the past year have went down to the penny, went straight to the house. So that's how we did that. You guys made this incredible thing happen over a three-year period of time, and now you're all done with it. Did you guys do anything to celebrate? What's different now for you guys? Not much has changed since we are preparing to go down to one income for the main part. Since we are pregnant with our first baby in April. <gasps> Excellent. I love it. Congratulations. Thank you. So we haven't changed anything knowing that that's going to come and we're going to have those bills and changing into one income is a major thing. It's not huge because we've been living that. Absolutely. You've been planning for it. So you've been living on his income. Your entire income has gone towards paying off the house. And so this is not a big change for you guys at all because you're, I guess you're essentially your new mortgage payment is being at home and then taking care of your child, which is incredible. That's, that's awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> we are celebrating by going to Florida in a week. Awesome. We're going to see my grandparents because- they won't see me hardly pregnant at all because of the way they're snowbirds. Sure. But we are going to go see them. But once again, we're staying with them while we're there. We're very frugal and minimalist. So we're staying with them. So it's not going to be a major expense, but it will be a fun thing for us to do. Hey, when you live in the Midwest, Florida, doing anything is really nice in the wintertime. So <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> very cool. Well, Janelle, people are listening right now and they want to have a free and clear home in their future. What is one small step that they could take following this interview? I would say talk to your spouse or anyone who is involved in your finances and come up with some short-term goals and some long-term goals that you have. A lot of our short-term girls ended up affecting our long-term goals and vice versa. We didn't hit some short-term goals because we knew we wanted to hit our long-term goals in a shorter amount of time. So coming up with those goals and having that motivation to strive for those goals that are very joint. If you do have a spouse, the joint goals provide motivation for both of you. So those definitely helped us out. 
I love it. Have that communication, everybody. Start those conversations with your spouse. Maybe even if they're not super fired up about the money stuff, like some of us are, maybe you're listening to the show, you could at least talk to them about their dreams and their goals and maybe get them fired up and then the money comes along with it, right? So Janelle, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. This was a great conversation. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Great questions today from Ryan and Karen and a huge dose of mortgage-free motivation from our new friend, Janelle. These three, they've got me pumped up, man. They've got me pumped up to hit my big financial goals this year. And I have a feeling there's a few of you out there who are listening that are ready to get started too. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I wanted to let you know that I put together a free video resource called Pay Off Your Mortgage in 10 Simple Steps. Yeah, you know, Janelle did it and our family did it, so why not you, right? <laughs> you can get this video resource at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash free gift. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash free gift. Once you do that, you'll be added to the Marriage Kids and Money community email. This is a bi-weekly email that I send out. It's got tips, it's got inspiration, it's got guidance for your financial independence journey. And if you don't find any value in it, you can unsubscribe anytime. My feelings won't be hurt. I periodically get rid of emails that I don't find value in too. So hopefully I will provide you value and motivation for your journey. Again, you can find that free video resource at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash free gift. I hope it helps you on your journey. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Ernest Holmes. Prepare your mind to receive the best that life has to offer. Let's go after those big goals, everyone. Carpe diem. 